Hey y'all, we're rerunning two episodes today, which means you might hear two hosts. Enjoy the show. Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson and it's October 30th. The War of the Worlds radio broadcast took place on this day in 1938. This, of course, was an adaptation of H.G. Wells' 1898 novel by the same name. It was put on by Mercury Theater on the air on Columbia Broadcasting System. That was a radio network. And it starred Orson Welles. No relation to H.G. Wells, also spelled differently. In the novel, aliens invade Great Britain and they cause all kinds of havoc before succumbing to earthly diseases. In the radio play, it's a little bit different. First, there's an introduction, making it clear that it's the Mercury Theater on the air on Columbia Broadcasting System. And it ends with Orson Welles saying, quote, on this particular evening, October 30th, the Crossley service estimated that 32 million people were listening in on radios. So that's sort of the setup. People are listening to the radio. And then it breaks into this fictional broadcast with a weather report. And then, quote, we now take you to the Meridian Room in the Hotel Park Plaza in downtown New York. It introduces a selection of music. After a few minutes of music, there's another break from an announcer who comes in and says, quote, ladies and gentlemen, we must interrupt our program of dance music to bring you a special bulletin from the Intercontinental Radio News. At 20 minutes before 8 central time, Professor Farrell of the Mount Jennings Observatory, Chicago, Illinois, reports observing several explosions of incandescent gas occurring at regular intervals on the planet Mars. From there, the show proceeds like a news report, with reporters on the scene talking to astronomers about Mars, witnesses at the site of an alien craft, and the aliens themselves, quote, wriggling out of the shadow like a gray snake. So the way most people remember, in quotation marks, this War of the World broadcast is that as the broadcast went on, the people who missed those first few moments and either heard dance music followed by We Interrupt Our Program of Dance Music or came in even later in the middle of this set-up news reporting thought this was a real news report. In the popular memory, this led to a mass panic with riots in the street, stark terror driving people to take their own lives. The biggest effects were in New Jersey, which is where this invasion of aliens is set. Headlines ran the next day that said things like, fake radio war stirs terror through U.S. Orson Welles thought his career was over, and he had to hold a press conference saying that he hadn't meant to deceive anyone. But really, his career was not over. He was suddenly very famous, and he went on to have a tremendously successful Hollywood career, including the film Citizen Kane, which is on numerous lists of the best movies ever made. As the years passed, this story has gotten bigger and bigger, and the purported panic has gotten more and more frantic and chaotic, but that's all really overblown. There was definitely a lot of news reporting about panic-stricken mobs and thousands of people fleeing their homes, but the real response was a lot smaller. The Mercury Theater on the Air wasn't a tremendously popular radio program. A lot of people were listening to something else. One key piece of evidence that people cite in this being overblown and sometimes used to just dismiss the whole thing entirely is that C.E. Hooper Rating Service did a phone survey on the night of the 30th. They called 5,000 households and asked what they were listening to on the radio. 
No one said they were listening to a news broadcast. Only about 2% of the people said a radio play or something else that seems like they were listening to War of the Worlds. Some sources have used this report to just discount the idea of the panic entirely, saying that if only 2% of the people, of these 5,000 people, were listening, then there's no way that this could have happened at all. But something really important to keep in mind is that in 1938, somewhere between 35 and 40% of households in the United States had a telephone. But at least 70% of households had a radio, and there were at least 1.5 million cars that were equipped with radios, So a lot more people had access to radio than phone, and the people who had access to telephones in their homes were probably the people who were the most affluent, living in the most urban areas, not necessarily people who were out in the country, who did not have as ready access to maybe a neighbor to go say, hey, what's going on here? There were definitely some people who were terrified and definitely fled their homes, and some of them wrote to the FCC to complain about it later, but it wasn't a massive panic that took the entire nation by storm. You can learn a bit more about this in the September 17th, 2012 episode of Stuff You Missed in History Class. Thanks to Tari Harrison for all her audio work on the show. And you can subscribe to This Day in History Class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever else you get your podcasts. Tune in tomorrow for something else that also is a little bit apocryphal, but much older. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. I'm Eves, and you're listening to This Day in History Class, a podcast that really takes to heart the phrase, you learn something new every day. The day was October 30th, 1974. Former heavyweight champion Muhammad Ali beat undefeated world heavyweight champion George Foreman in a fight at the 20th of May Stadium in what was then Kinshasa, Zaire. 60,000 people attended the fight, and it was the world's most watched live television broadcast at the time. Both Ali and Foreman were Olympic gold medal winners. Ali was known for his speed and skill, while Foreman was known for his power. Foreman became heavyweight champion when he beat Joe Frazier in 1973. Ali was once heavyweight champion too, but Ali had been fighting for a chance to regain the title since he was stripped of it and suspended from boxing in 1967 after refusing to comply with the draft. Boxing promoter Don King arranged a fight between the two, getting them to sign contracts. Foreman was the favorite. He had knocked down champion Joe Frazier six times in two rounds before he KO'd him to win the championship, and he beat Ken Norton in two rounds. Ali, on the other hand, had lost to Frazier and Norton. The fight was one of Don King's first ventures as a promoter. Both Ali and Foreman wanted $5 million for the fight, but King did not have that much money to put up. There wasn't much of a framework for professional boxing in Africa until 1973, when the African Boxing Union was formed. The president of Zaire, Mobutu Sese Seku, agreed to host the fight in his country because he knew it would bring tourism and publicity. He provided training facilities and a venue for the fight. Ali and Foreman spent the summer training in Zaire to adjust to the tropical climate. The fight was scheduled for September, but when Foreman got a cut above his right eye about a week before the fight, it was pushed to October 30th. But a concert series called Zaire 74 that was set up as a promotional event for the fight went on. 
The festival took place from September 22nd to 24th at the 20th of May Stadium. American and African musicians like Celia Cruz, B.B. King, James Brown, and Miriam Makeba performed in the series. Around 80,000 people attended the concerts. The fight began just after 4 a.m. local time, so it would be broadcast during prime time in the United States. Even though Foreman was favored to win the fight, Ali was more beloved in Africa. Ali spent more time out in the local communities and spoke to the press. He later reflected that the fight was also about racial issues and about the relationship between Black Americans and Africans. Ali used the strategy of leaning on the ropes and taking Foreman's punches until Foreman tired. At the same time, Ali took chances to punch Foreman in the face. Ali sent combinations back at Foreman starting in the fourth round as Foreman tired out. Ali was taking a lot of attacks, but he ended up defeating Foreman in an eighth round knockout. The fight, one of the most famous matches ever, helped confirm Ali's status as the greatest boxer. It attracted around 50 million viewers on closed-circuit television worldwide and pulled in around $100 million. Foreman retired in 1977, though he later regained the World Heavyweight Championship at age 45. After losing his title in 1978 and regaining it again months later, Ali retired in 1981. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. Looking for content a little more sophisticated than cat memes in your feed? Connect with us on social media at TDIHC Podcast. You can also email us at thisday at iheartmedia.com. I hope you liked this show. We'll be back tomorrow with another episode. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.